Mr. Gorbachev teared down this wall. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. I'm not a crook. If you like your health care plan, you'll be able to keep your health care plan. Listening to Jim Paris Live, your source for the latest news on money, politics, prophecy, and preparedness. And now your host, the editor-in-chief of ChristianMoney.com and the author of more than 30 books, Jim Paris. All right, hello everybody. Welcome to our second segment. Super excited tonight to have with us Dr. Daniel Lieberman. He's a professor and he's an author, and he's got this great book out that I absolutely love. It's called The Molecule of More. And Dr. Daniel Lieberman, welcome to Jim Paris Live for the first time, sir. It's great to be here, Jim. Hey, I, I have to ask you this to start out with. What gave you the idea to do a whole book about dopamine? Has anyone ever done an entire book on this? I was very surprised to find out the answer is no, because the reason why I chose dopamine is because it's the neurotransmitter, the brain chemical, that's attracted the most research in the last 20 years. And not only that, in many people's minds, it is the most exciting neurotransmitter. It's the transmitter that drives us, that makes us want what we want and gives us the energy and motivation to go after the things that we want to work for. So what is going on like in, in nature? Like, you know, obviously, so there must be some reason why our body creates dopamine. Is this like a signal to us saying, hey, good job, do some more of that? Is, is that what's, what it's supposed to be doing, but is sort of gone awry with, with our modern living? Giving us a reward when we do something good, i.e. pro-survival, is a big part of what dopamine does, and, and I think that that's what most people think of it when they, when they hear about dopamine. It's the reward molecule, the pleasure molecule. And as I said, very important thing, but it actually does a lot more, and that's what we focus in on the book. The, the range of influences it has over people's lives that really most people don't even realize. And and I know that uh, this is something that corporate America has figured out. And I heard you on another interview, you were talking about things like the Facebook like when we post something and we get the likes on our Facebook post, when we go to Amazon and click the button and we get the two day shipping and that thing we just bought is on the way. Those are all things that are creating dopamine. Yes, that's right. Dopamine is produced deep inside the brain, not in the frontal cortex, which is the most advanced part of the brain that allows us to calculate and um, do things rationally. Dopamine does help us with that, and I hope we can get to it, but really it is the thing that pushes us to survive and reproduce. So under natural conditions, we will get dopamine activity when we eat when we're very hungry or when we win an important competition. And as you said, it tells us, good work, let's do it again. Modern technology, though, has found that there are many very subtle ways to stimulate dopamine. 
And these corporations use them to really make us think that getting a like on Facebook or checking our news feed or that kind of thing is as important to our survival and success as the basic activities like eating and drinking. Because it, become, it can become an addiction just like alcoholism. I know people, uh, one guy I know, really successful guy, he told me that he got to a point where he was checking all of his different social media accounts and things online. Um, and he had to see like someone commented on something he wrote or someone liked something or somebody interacted with him in some way. And that he was living his whole day for those, those things happening. And without that, he couldn't make it through the day. And it got to the point that he was spending his whole day posting more and more things and checking more and more things to where he literally could not do anything else. That's right. When dopamine gets out of control, it becomes compulsive. And I, I think of it in some ways like a cancer. It starts out small. Uh, we may not even notice it. And slowly it grows. And just like cancerous tissue pushes out the healthy tissue, behaviors that lead to out-of-control dopamine slowly push away other things in our life, like family and hobbies and that sort of thing. And suddenly, the thing that produces dopamine, in this case, social media, becomes really the only thing that people have in their lives. And I know another thing is the online porn problem that so many people deal with. And I have heard stories where some people get so into that world of online porn that they can't even have like normal sexual relations anymore with their spouse because they, they have now sort of desensitized themselves to the point that they just get deeper and darker and deeper and darker into that whole world. Yeah, that's right. There have been studies that have shown that the more pornography people consume, the less able they are to function sexually in a normal way. And it's not just the physical aspect of things. It also degrades the quality of the relationships. They find it very difficult to engage with the people that they care about because they're getting all of their um, all of their gratification from pornography. And, and, you know, you compared it to drug addiction, and I think that that's a comparison that's worth following up. The reason why people lose control over their lives when they take drugs is because of dopamine. Drugs are, are, are just so dangerous in that respect because although lots of different behaviors can trigger dopamine, drugs bypass all of the checks and balances that are built into the brain and they hit the dopamine centers with a chemical blast that pretty much um, overpowers everything else. And if we look at the kinds of things that make drugs very addictive, one is the chemical nature of what they do in the brain, but there's other things as well. So, for example, heroin as a chemical is far more addictive than alcohol, but alcohol is a bigger societal problem. The reason why that is, is because of access. The more accessible a substance is, the more problems it will cause in a person's life. And that's what's happening with pornography. Um, you know, when you and I were growing up, it was a pretty big deal to get a hold of pornography. You had to go to the drugstore, you had to hope that the person behind the counter wasn't a member of the opposite sex, and it was quite an ordeal. Today, people just flip on their computer and they have access to millions of pornographic sites. 
Yeah, it, it is shocking, especially too at, at younger ages. Uh, you're seeing kids, you know, exposed to this because they have access to the internet, even just on their smartphone. Now, I, obviously, dopamine is. We're not saying here that dopamine is a bad thing. It's it's it is a thing, and it is in our brain. It is in our body. Are there some people that? legitimately their brain does not create enough dopamine. And so they, would they be on certain medications for that or certain supplements to deal with that issue so that they don't fall in to these traps of trying to find dopamine from other maybe unhealthy activities? That's a very complicated question. Um, the brain is enormously complicated. There, there are three main dopamine pathways in the brain and one of the things we emphasize in the book is that dopamine has one job, and that is to maximize future resources. And so dopamine helps us to look into the future, to plan, to decide what it is that's going to make our future as good as possible, and then it gives us the energy, motivation, and desire to get there. Once we do, it gives us the reward of pleasure. So one of the tracks um, is responsible for voluntary muscle movement. We're not going to get anything in life unless we can act on the physical world. And so dopamine in this part of the brain enables us to voluntarily control our muscles. If this part of the brain starts to have problems, what we see is Parkinson's disease. And people with Parkinson's disease have uh, a great deal of trouble moving. There's also a dopamine pathway that goes up to the frontal lobes, and that helps us to plan for the future. If that circuit is not working well, we often see an illness called attention deficit disorder, which I'm sure you're familiar with. These are people who have a great deal of difficulty planning, and they have a great deal of difficulty shifting from a short-term perspective of what's going to give me pleasure right now and thinking more long-term. Um, why might it be a good idea to postpone gratification to get something better, i.e., instead of watching Netflix, I'm going to study so I can do well in school. And the third dopamine center is the one that's responsible for desire and motivation. And when that circuit gets into trouble, that's probably going to cause the most problems with these kinds of self-destructive behaviors. Now, we have medications we can give to Parkinson's patients, and we have medications we can give to patients with attention deficit disorder. Um, for attention deficit disorder, we give stimulants, such as Ritalin and amphetamine. And this does help people take a longer-term approach to life. And so they are less likely to get in trouble with short-term gratification like drugs and pornography. Once these kinds of things have developed, though, we have not found any kind of a medication that's helpful across the board. We've got some great medications for people with alcohol problems. We've got some good medications for people with opioid problems. But really, that's about it. We don't have that magic bullet that will simply heal the, a sick dopamine system. One of our uh, listeners just sent me an email. They want to know... What is the difference between serotonin levels and dopamine? And they're also asking about depression and dopamine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of the, the key points in the book is that our brain tends to 
divide the world into what we have and what we don't have. Because obviously from a survival perspective, that's a very important distinction. The difference between resources such as food and shelter that you have and those that you don't. And so the brain has developed very different pathways to manage those things. As I said, dopamine is about maximizing future resources. So it's focused on what we don't have and what we need to be successful in the future. Serotonin is a brain chemical that's more involved with working with things that we do have. We call it one of the here and now brain chemicals. And so if you have a really well-functioning serotonin system, you're going to be a guy who's pretty laid back, very satisfied with what you have in the present, and generally happy, content, and you feel safe and secure. And so when the serotonin circuits are not working well, that can lead to a certain kind of depression. It's a kind of depression where people go through life feeling that everything is too much. They lack that secure feeling that life is okay, that I am safe. Um, and so if any little thing goes wrong, their resilience is very low and their stress tolerance is very low. So if somebody has that kind of a depression, they really benefit from one of the antidepressants that tends to work on the serotonin system. If, on the other hand, you have a depression because your dopamine system is not working well, it's going to be a slightly different collection of symptoms. You're more going to feel that the world is flat and gray and dull. Nothing is wor worth working for. Nothing gives you pleasure. You can eat a wonderful meal, have a wonderful conversation with a friend, and it does absolutely nothing for you. So both of these brain chemicals are uh, involved in depression, but they're involved in different ways. Interesting. If you're just tuning in, folks, and you want this book, it is fascinating. The book is The Molecule of More. Our guest is Daniel Lieberman. Dr. Daniel Lieberman, you can find this book at Amazon.com. Dr. Lieberman, is there also an audio version of this book? We have a lot of listeners that ask about that. Oh, yeah. I love listening to audiobooks during my morning commute. And uh, yes, there is. We got, we got a terrific narrator, and it's on Audible.com. All right. So another question here about, well, let's get this one first. Someone is asking about PTSD. They want to know, is PTSD uh, going to affect dopamine levels? And what is the effect on a person who's going through PTSD? For example, are they more subject to getting addicted to maybe alcohol or getting addicted to social media? Is, are they more vulnerable? PTSD is a very complex illness. And yes, there is some dopamine involvement. In PTSD, we've probably got some hyperactivity going on in the dopamine system. Uh, people with PTSD always feel at threat. Um, they always feel like their world could come tumbling down around their ears at any moment in time. So their dopamine system, again, which is involved in looking into the future to maximize resources and n not just getting more stuff, but also getting security, being safe in the future, which is what people with PTSD have a great deal of difficulty with. So their dopamine system tends to be uh, on overdrive. And so we treat them with the same 
medications that we treat depression. And that is that antidepressants that work on the serotonin system. If we can boost serotonin, the neurotransmitter that tells you everything is just fine right now, that's going to help suppress some of the abnormal dopamine activity. And in the best case scenario, it's going to take away the fear, the anxiety, the hypervigilance that are the hallmarks of PTSD. Is this condition of maybe not getting enough dopamine, is this something that is uh, something you're born with? Is this, does it run in families? Uh, do you have like, a, you know, everyone in the family has this issue and so there's certain, you know, uh, tendencies that we see biologically? You know, pretty much all of human behavior is based on an interaction between genes and environment, i.e. what you're born with and then the experiences you have as you go through childhood and the rest of your life. So yes, there definitely is a genetic component. Um, if you look at the cellular machinery that's responsible for regulating dopamine, there's a number of different places where genes make a difference. There are genes that help produce dopamine, there are genes that help the cell react to dopamine, and there are genes that help bring the dopamine signal to an end. And so people can be born with more or less active genes in any of these areas. And um, it shows up in, in a variety of different ways. So we might take somebody who's got a very active dopamine system that's always making them look to the future and incapable of enjoying the present. That person might be a type A workaholic type person. No matter how much they work, no matter how much money they make, it is never enough. No matter how many good things they have, vacation homes, sports cars, they can't enjoy them because it just doesn't feel good for them to stop working. Now, dopamine is also responsible for creativity. Because it's focused on improving the future, it is about creating new things. So a different kind of person with a highly active dopamine system might be a brilliant physicist or an artist, or a poet. And um, these people create amazing things, but they do pay a price for their very active dopamine system. Like the workaholic, geniuses are also never satisfied. I mean, if we, if we think of the greatest genius of modern times, Albert Einstein, discovered the theory of relativity and changed the world, he tragically died in despair. Um, because it wasn't enough for him just to do relativity. Yeah, th th that is so fascinating. You say that because I'm a musician. I, uh, you know, been I've been playing the trumpet my whole life, and um, I, 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 it just breaks my heart. Literally, I will cry when I begin to talk about some of my favorite historically you know, music musicians. Like, like my favorite of all time is Chet Baker, who was mm -hmm. um, just a complete genius, uh, unbelievable trumpet player. And yet he couldn't show up on time for gigs. He never had money. And even though he was making a lot of money, he was constantly selling his horns at pawn shops to get drugs. And as I have progressed myself over the years now, just playing as a hobby, but I was playing professionally for a while. Um, it seemed like these super talented people that would come in to our band, they would last a short time because they couldn't deal socially with anyone in the band. They 
uh, as great a player as they were, they, they, no one could tolerate their behavior. And they had all of these other problems. And so we, we kind of have this thing in the world of musicians. We say it's like a rule of the universe. This guy is so talented, I know he's going to be a problem. And, and that sounds like a crazy thing to think about when somebody comes into a band and they're just a monster on their instrument. But we say that when they leave and we're like, okay, that person is too good. They're going to be a problem. And it's almost always the case. It's, it's so sad. You know, we look, at, we look at incredibly successful celebrities. They're talented, they're creative, they're rich, they're famous. And our instinct is to envy them. But we probably should not be envying them. A, a lot of them are actually miserable. And, and what you see is exactly what you described. Drug addiction, divorce, um, even suicide. Um, it, it, it is both a blessing and a curse to be that talented. Yeah, that, that is just a fascinating study. And, and you know, I, I know people listening to say, Jim, you're just using generalities, stereotypes. Not There are some super talented people that have it all together. But, but many times it's not. I mean, I was just reading an article uh, this week about Tiger Woods and his comeback and, and so forth. And, and then I, I saw the picture of, of his beautiful first wife, and children and how she's kind of gone on with her own life after he had all of his episodes. But again, another example of someone that talent beyond belief, beyond anything anyone could ever imagine. And then his personal life was just a complete shambles. Yeah. And, and, you know, I thought you made a very interesting observation about how these uh, brilliant geniuses can't, can't function in a social situation. And that, that we see that across the board. Um, you know, the, the brilliant scientist, the brilliant artist, they're like children when it comes to interpersonal interactions, and they're often extremely difficult to live with. And the reason for that is that being able to interact with other people is carried out by the here and now brain chemicals. And mm. the two of them, the here and nows and dopamine, tend to be in opposition. So if you've got the kind of dopamine system that's going to make you a Chet Baker, the odds are you're going to have a lot of problems interacting with other human beings. Fascinating. Another question coming in here. I love these questions. Our listeners are so smart. Somebody's asking, they're describing someone they know. Um, I'm not going to say who it is because it might touch too close to home if they're, if this person is listening also. Um, but in any case, someone they know in their social circle buys a lot of stuff and they buy it and then they're excited about it for a few days. And then it sort of goes into the closet with all the other stuff they bought and they lost the excitement. Is that something we all to some degree do? Like, like when you first get that new house, it's like, wow, this is my exciting new house. Or you get that really cool motorcycle or car or it, it, there's like this rush of excitement. But then after a few weeks, it's like, well, this is my house. This is my car. Yeah, exactly. And you're eating, you're eating a, you're eating a Big Mac in your brand new car that you said no one would ever eat in. And it's only a month down the road. It, it, it is just so common. Um, as we think about getting something new, our dopamine system becomes very, very active, and we get all kinds of excitement and hope, and, and we paint these beautiful pictures in our minds of how our future is going to be rosy and amazing and wonderful. But dopamine can only process things that exist in the future, 
when we actually get something, it moves from the future down to the present. And once it hits the present, dopamine shuts off. And that can actually be a very unpleasant experience to lose that dopaminergic rush. And we call it buyer's remorse. Um, that this thing that we've been excited about for weeks when it was in the future, when all of a sudden it shifts down into the present, the excitement drains away immediately. It, it reminds me of this wonderful quotation from the children's book, Winnie the Pooh. Uh, Christopher Robin asked Winnie the Pooh, what do you like best? And not surprisingly, Winnie the Pooh is about to answer eating honey. But then he stops and he thinks to himself that there's a moment right before you start to eat honey that's even better, but he didn't know what to call it. And the name oh, wow. of that thing is dopamine. Well, you know, one motivational speaker that I heard recently, he said, you've always got to have something to look forward to. So like get your calendar out and like schedule a couple of vacations for like six months out, a year out, those kinds of things, because that will keep you motivated and keep you excited. Is that sort of playing into this, like the idea that we're sort of like the dog chasing the car? It's not very exciting catching the car, so it would be good if that car was like way down the road, so we can kind of see it be excited but not actually catch it? Yeah, yeah. And I think it um, it also illuminates the idea that dopamine plays a number of different roles. Um, It is responsible for the reward and the pleasure we get, anticipating pleasurable activities, but it's also responsible for motivation. So, for example, if you take laboratory animals like rats and you, um, you shut down their dopamine circuits, they will not walk even a few steps to get a pellet of food. If you bring the food right to them and it takes no effort at all, they'll eat it and they'll enjoy it but they will not work for it because they don't have dopamine. So I think that this is a wonderful insight this motivational speaker had, that you, you get your dopamine systems clicking through anticipation of something pleasurable, and then once that dopamine has been mobilized, you can use it to motivate you to do the difficult things that are going to take you to that vacation, such as finish a report or um, whatever else that's standing between you and the vacation. All right, final question, and then we'll uh, mention the book again and give out any website that you have. Um, is there any? Do you offer any solutions in the book? So let's say that that someone reads your book, they realize that is me. <laughs> I'm reading about myself in this book. I'm can, I'm addicted to online porn. I'm addicted to Facebook. I'm addicted to buying stuff on Amazon or whatever the crazy behavior is. Does the book offer any solutions on how to sort of control yourself if if this is you? Yes, it, it does. We all love dopamine. It it feels so good, but it's very easy to get caught in the dopamine trap where it's always more, more, more. And so what we recommend is that people take time to cultivate the here and now brain chemicals that they have. And basically what that means is throughout the day, take moments to stop thinking about what could be, what might be, what's happening next, what's your next meeting, what's your next lunch, and just come down into the present moment. Use your senses. Uh, Look around you. Hear the sounds. um, Smell the odors. And just try to schedule oases throughout your day of being right here, right now, in the present moment. 
such a good uh, closing thought. And some people would call it meditation. Others call it prayer. Someone might say, stop and smell the roses. But that's sort of cognitively how to deal with it is. And someone once said, you can't really control the future. And of course, you can't do anything about the past. So really, the present moment is really all we have control over. And uh, we're hearing more and more about getting out maybe into nature for an hour or two a week. Don't skip your lunch break. If you don't want to eat lunch or have a light lunch, go for a walk, you know, do so, you know, find a great book that you're interested in. Uh, give yourself a little bit of, of a break to enjoy the current moment and, and get off the treadmill uh, to go back to the, <laughs> to the uh, analogy of, of the rats on the treadmill. But uh, Dr. Lieberman, so great. I love this book. I'm glad you wrote it. Uh, it's called the molecule of more. Uh, people can get it on Amazon.com. Do you have any more information you want to give us, a website or anything more about the book or any upcoming appearances that you have? Sure. People can learn more about the book uh, on my website, DanielZLieberman.com, and that will also have information about um, things online I've done. They, I've also got a TED Talk on, um, on uh, YouTube that they can look up if they search my name. Oh, wow. Is that a, t a TED Talk on dopamine? Yeah, actually, I, I should, it's a TEDx talk. It's a TEDx talk, and it's about dopamine. It's about um, 20 minutes long, and uh, I think it gives a real nice overview of, um, of what dopamine does. Very good. Thank you so much, sir. We hope you'll come back soon, and uh, let us know if you have any new books out. Thanks for having me, Jim. All right. God bless. Have a good week. Wow, that was fascinating. I, I, I heard him on a national interview, and I said, I have got to book this guy. Because does this not describe like what our culture is going through right now? I mean, and man, it's like nobody's talking about this. And this might be the only book actually all about the issue of dopamine. It's called The Molecule of More. And if you're somebody that struggles with any of those issues, I think you'll want to take a look at the book. There's also an audio version I see here. There's also a Kindle version. All right. We'll be back next week. Remember... If it's Sunday night, it's Jim Paris Live. We'll talk to you next time, everybody.